Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Seeing him again in life and feeling nothing but hatred and contempt for the father who had planned such infamy against her. She offered no resistance whatever to any of her father's commands. After the first outburst of revolt and indignation, she had not even spoken to him. There was a halt somewhere on the way, when in the low-raftered room of a posting inn, she had to sit at table with the two men who had compassed her misery. She was thirsty, feverish, and weak. She drank some milk in silence. She felt ill physically as well as mentally, and the constant effort not to break down had helped to shatter her nerves. As she had stepped out of the barish without a word, so she stepped into it again when it stood outside, ready with a fresh relay of horses to take her further, still further, away from the cozy little nest where even now her young husband was waiting longingly for her to return. The people of the inn, a kindly-looking woman, a portly middle-aged man, one or two young ostlers and serving-maids, were standing about in the yard when her father led her to the coach. For a moment the wild idea rushed to her mind to run to these people and demand their protection, to proclaim at the top of her voice the infamous act which was dragging her away from her husband and her home, and lead her a helpless prisoner to a fate that was infinitely worse than death. She even ran to the woman who looked so benevolent and so kind. She placed her small quivering hand on the other's rough, tail-worn one, and in hurried appealing words begged for her help and the shelter of a home till she could communicate with her husband. The woman listened with a look of kindly pity upon her homely face. She patted the small, trembling hand and stroked it gently. Tears of compassion gathered in her eyes. "'Yes, yes, my dear,' she said soothingly, speaking as she would to a sick woman or to a child. "'I quite understand. I wouldn't have fret if I was you. I would just go quietly with your poor father. He knows what's best for you, that he do.' You come long with me, she added, as she drew Yvonne's hands through her arm. I'll see you're comfortable in the coach. Yvonne, bewildered, could not at first understand either the woman's sympathy or her obvious indifference to the pitiable tale until, oh, the shame of it, she saw the two young serving-maids looking on her with equal pity expressed in their round eyes, and heard one of them whispering to the other, Poor lady, so sad, ain't it? I'm that sorry for the poor father. And the girl, with a significant gesture, indicated her own forehead and glanced knowingly at her companion. Yvonne felt a hot flush rise to the very roots of her hair. So her father and Martin Roger had thought of everything, and had taken every precaution to cut the ground from under her feet. 
whenever a halt was necessary, wherever the party might come in contact with the curious or the indifferent, it would be given out that the poor young lady was crazed, that she talked wildly and had to be kept under restraint. Yvonne, as she turned away from that last faint glimmer of hope, encountered Martin Roget's glance of triumph and saw the sneer which curled his full lips. Her father came up to her just then and took her away from the kindly hostess with the ostentatious manner of one who has charge of a sick person and must take every precaution for her welfare. Another loss of dignity, my child, he said to her in French, so that none but Martin Roger could catch what he said. I guessed that you would commit some indiscretion, you see, so Monsieur Martin Roger and myself warned all the people at the inn the moment we arrived. We told them that I was travelling with a sick daughter who had become crazed through the death of her lover, and believed herself, like most crazed persons do, to be persecuted and oppressed. You have seen the result. They pitied you. Even the serving-maid smiled. It would have been wiser to remain silent. Whereupon he handed her into the barouche with loving care, a crowd of sympathetic onlookers gazing with obvious compassion on the poor crazed lady and her sorely tried father. After this episode, Yvonne gave up the struggle. No one but God could help her, if he chose to perform a miracle. Part 5. The rest of the journey was accomplished in silence. Yvonne gazed unseeing through the carriage window as the barish rattled on the cobblestones of the streets of Bristol. She marveled at the number of people who went gaily by along the streets, unheeding, unknowing that the greatest depths of misery to which any human being could sink had been probed by the unfortunate young girl, who, wide-eyed, mute, and broken-hearted, gazed out upon the busy world without. Portishead was reached just when the grey light of day turned to a gloomy twilight, Yvonne, unresisting, insentient, went whither she was bidden to go. Better that than to feel Martin Roget's coercive grip on her arm, or to hear her father's curt words of command. She walked along the pier, and anon stepped into a boat, hardly knowing what she was doing. The twilight was welcome to her, for it hid much from her view and her eyes, hot with unshed tears, ached for the restful gloom. She realized that the boat was being rowed along for some little way down the stream, that Frederick, who had come she knew not how or whence, was in the boat too, with some luggage which she recognized as being familiar, that another woman was there whom she did not know, but who appeared to look after her comforts, wrapped a shawl closer around her knees, and drew the hood of her mantle closer around her neck. But it was all like an ugly dream, the voices of her father and of Martin Roget, who were talking in monosyllables. The sound of the oars as they struck the water, or creaked in their rowlocks, came to her as from an ever-receding distance. A couple of hours later she came back to complete consciousness. She was in a narrow place, which at first appeared to her like a cupboard. The atmosphere was both cold and stuffy, and reeked of tar and of oil. She was lying on a hard bed, with her mantle, and a shawl wrapped around her, it was very dark, save where the feeble glimmer of a lamp threw a circle of light around. Above her head there was a constant and heavy tramping of feet, and the sound of incessant and varied creakings and groanings of wood, cordage, and metal filled the night air with their weird and dismal sounds. A slow feeling of movement, coupled with a gentle oscillation, confirmed the unfortunate girl's first waking impression that she was on board a ship. How she had got there she did not know. 
she must ultimately have fainted in the small boat and been carried aboard. She raised herself slightly on her elbow and peered round her into the dark corners of the cabin. Opposite to her upon a bench, also wrapped up in shawl and mantle, lay the woman who had been in attendance on her in the boat. The woman's heavy breathing indicated that she was fast asleep. Loneliness, misery, desolation encompassed the happy bride of yesterday. With a moan of exquisite soul agony, she fell back against the hard cushions, and for the first time this day a convulsive flow of tears eased the super-acuteness of her misery. End of chapter 8 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah